Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And with me today is Jill Hill, Quality Management Coordinator for the Division of Clinical Microbiology. Now, Jill has played a key role in ensuring ongoing quality of all of our testing, not just our routine testing, but all of our new testing for COVID-19. So Jill, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks. So can you share a little bit about yourself and how your roles changed since COVID-19? Yeah, sure. So most days my job involves ensuring all the labs in our division are implementing the quality system essentials or QSEs into the path of workflow while meeting the accreditation and regulatory requirements. So what I try to do is take the best practices that other divisions and departments are using and share them with our team. Typically, this might look like helping with proficiency testing investigations, training new quality staff, reviewing documents, managing events, and collaborating with all the talented people I've met here over the years. Since COVID-19, though, there's been a shift, and I've been working with all the labs to ensure that our robust quality practices continue to remain in place because quality can't stop, even though there's a pandemic, and then also weighing in on the various validations, verifications for anything from the move of an analytical instrument or a piece of equipment all the way to the verification of the emergency use authorization assays our division is performing, and then looking at the impact it has on other non-COVID assays. Well, there certainly have been a lot of new pieces of equipment and new assays. I was just uh, counting this up yesterday, and I think now we are up to 11 molecular tests for SARS-CoV-2, which is just incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Has there been any additional quality management practices that have been put into place since the start of COVID-19? You know, the one practice that immediately comes to mind for the labs as a whole is the incredible importance of the biohazard risk assessment. With all the unknowns of a novel virus, the labs handling respiratory specimens had to relook at whether the practices in place were sufficient to prevent an exposure. So this affected more than just microbiology. One of the laboratories in our division uh, most heavily involved in COVID-19 PCR testing did not previously utilize biological safety cabinets or test respiratory specimens. The training and implementation of those practices has been very fast and furious, but handled exceptionally well under the circumstances. The techs, both new and experienced, have been highly influential in addressing the procedural details and the what-if scenarios associated with spills and other risks. We've been really fortunate to um, have skilled specialists and technologists with previous experience in other areas using biological safety cabinets and other safety measures prior to coming to help our division. Well, you know, you bring up some great points there, Jill, because we've had to expand, as have many labs, and we find that just a single area of the laboratory isn't enough to perform all of the SARS-CoV-2 molecular testing. Here at Mayo Clinic, as you mentioned, we had another lab that's really picked up a lot of the testing, and they never tested respiratory specimens before, and I think that's a really good point. That's a completely different specimen than serum and plasma, Um, and I know other labs out there have used some of their molecular facilities outside of the microbiology lab, those laboratories often don't use uh, test respiratory specimens either. So it's 
a lot of things to learn, of course, and that doesn't even get into the rest of the laboratory and how they could be impacted. You know, of course, our colleagues in transfusion medicine and hematology. So thank goodness we have folks like you to help us navigate this from a quality perspective. Do you feel like these practices will continue to be followed going forward? Or do you think that some are just specific to the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, the short answer is yes. My gut instinct right now is that many of the safety practices we put in place will remain. Um, they undoubtedly serve more than just COVID testing. Yeah. You know, I would agree with you. I remember looking back to the Ebola pandemic and thinking that some of the things we put into place for safety with blood specimens, we've kept and it probably made us safer in general. It doesn't hurt to have these extra safety checks in as long as they're reasonable. You know, they protect our staff. So with this rise in demand of testing needs, more and more and more tests for COVID-19, um, can you talk about what your team is doing to address the need? Yeah, I'm glad you used the word team because there's been so much support, both from within the division as well as externally. And it's been truly astounding to see what can be accomplished so well and in so little time. So to your question, as you've heard from others previously, the initiative to create a test to submit for emergency use authorization was already underway before most people knew what was really happening in our country. So that was a huge hurdle to overcome in an unbelievably short time frame. And the virology team did it beautifully. From that point, the labs and micro capitalized on the instrument platforms already in-house to begin running the EUA approved assays developed by several of the vendors we've worked with over the years Working with the system engineers we have here and others who support COVID testing, volumes of reagents, test kits, consumables, all of those things were projected and then served as the rationale for purchasing additional instruments to support testing. And I absolutely cannot leave out the facilities team, the healthcare technology team. They have been so important with the need for rapid installation of things like biological safety cabinets, uh, moving bench tops, you name it. When asked to help, everyone has been on board. You really do nicely emphasize the teamwork here. Just reflecting on the changes that have occurred in the laboratory, we've had to rely heavily on supply chain to get us uh, all of the equipment and new tests we need for COVID-19 testing. But then as you mentioned, as you install new instruments, you need people, people to rapidly come in and do construction and install electronics. And it's inspiring really how people just pulled together so quickly to make this all happen. That's really a nice description of the work. Now, of course, with all of this, there were challenges. Um, what challenges have you encountered and how have you overcome them? There have definitely been several, and I think the most significant, and I'm certain we are not alone, has been supply chain. The vendors that provide COVID-related items are producing as quickly as they can, but it's still not enough, and we have instruments and staff ready. We've also seen where vendors of many other products have transitioned so much of their effort to COVID-related items that there are back orders and allocation issues that impact far more than just COVID testing. Another challenge I can think of that the labs have done amazingly well with is the efficiency and completeness of training of all the new individuals that have been hired to keep testing going. The willingness of the staff to go above and beyond regularly, that is inspiring to me. And one thing I think all the lab staff would tell you also is that the higher volumes highlight the problems that had been minor before, but really became an issue in their greater number. 
things like specimen labeling with the right patient for the wrong test or the wrong specimen for the test ordered. And in some ways, it's good that the problems came to the forefront because up until now, we had just been dealing with them manually on a case-by-case -case basis. And when you put it in the framework of frequency and impact, for one specimen, the impact may be small, but then multiply that and the impact, it's tremendous. But now we're looking at them with a true root cause analysis mindset and a long-term vision to prevent these from continuing. Well, it's good to keep that silver lining. I do think that there were some positive things that came out of this. And I agree, one of them is fixing maybe things that we had just been dealing with manually over the years because they didn't happen all that frequently, but still were troublesome. So now having processes in place to make some sweeping systemic improvements, I think is really helpful. And then supply chain, uh, we've already had a talk on this podcast with our supply chain folks, and we probably should talk to them again because we're continuing to see supply chain shortages of key reagents and tests, now plastics, throughout the nation. A lot of challenges here. Well, with all these challenges, I'm sure there have been inspirations. What is something inspiring that you've noticed during the pandemic? I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the support and the teamwork from divisions and departments outside of microbiology has been absolutely overwhelming. My peers and quality roles throughout the department have offered to assist with any and every duty imaginable, answering my questions on the fly at the oddest of hours, taking on roles that are completely outside their comfort zones. I've seen people not only redeploy to areas without a lot of notice or choice, but many who actually volunteered to do so as far back as March of this year. And our providers on the clinic side, they've been incredibly patient as we work through some of the issues with such a rapid uptick in testing and how to get the right test to the right patient at the right time. And I've personally been privileged to take part in many interviews as we've hired a number of new people to meet the increased testing demands. And I'm truly inspired by the willingness of people to step into a field they've got little experience in, knowing that it will help someone else. And just personally speaking, my friends and family who understand the situation, they have been incredibly supportive and amazing to lean on when it's been really stressful. Well, thanks, Joe. Yeah, we had a podcast just a little while back with uh, Emily Fernholds and Amy Berger, and they talked about their family life and how it changed. And yeah, you have people who used to work day shift now working evening shift. They don't see their family very often. I agree. It's inspiring how everyone pulled together because they knew that this had to be done. So what lessons have you learned that other laboratory professionals would benefit from for this COVID-19 pandemic? The lesson I think that has held true throughout my career, even before COVID in lab medicine, is that change is constant, flexibility is essential, and every step matters. Now multiply that by a thousand, and that's what it's like in an ongoing pandemic. The other lesson that is so very important is taking care of yourself, knowing your limits, and asking for help. Burnout is very real now more than ever, and we need to be mindful of what keeps us healthy, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. So we need to look out for one another and use the resources that are out there to help. Mm, very well said. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience today, Jill? You know, I just wanted to say that we've had a pandemic preparedness plan in place for a really long time, and I think we were as prepared as we could be when this first came to light. And it's hard some days to find the good in things, 
But one good thing is that COVID has shed a light on the processes we have in place and where there's room for improvement. And if anything, this experience is only going to improve the way we handle the next pandemic. And I can honestly say I am prouder than ever to have had the privilege to be on a team with extraordinary leaders and innovators in the field. And I'm so grateful for the opportunities that this has created. Well, thank you, Joe. We're grateful that you shared your experiences with us today. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.